it's just so... But, like, that's the first thing it says in the preface, is... I know you might think this is masturbatory, I know you might think it's bloated and too much, but this is the story that people have asked for, so I want to give it to them. Welcome to First Time Through. New Eyes on Castle Rock. With Kim Payne. And Otto Mullins. himself and And like cut so much of it i just didn't realize until you told me that it was 400 pages so welcome back to the podcast this week we are going to be talking or this week today uh welcome to the new year it's going to be yeah it'll be the new year when we finish start this won't it thursday oh new year happy new New year's Year's eve Eve. how exciting um and we're going to jump into the new the end of this year with a good old plague story, a plague horror story, like, and that's the thing that's like immediately right off the bat, like, it's so scary to think like about the plague, like viruses in 2020 with COVID running amok. What a way to end 2020. Yeah, to jump right into this. Um, so we were thinking. Maybe we can read it out of existence for 2021. <laughs> if we read the stand all together at the same time, at the stroke of midnight, we'll get rid of viruses that are destroying the entirety of civilization. Seems reasonable. Yes. I really think as we open this, we get the preface, and we're both reading just for, you know, just for, what's Reference? the word? No, there's a word. Posterity. Just for posterity. Or, mm-hmm. right? Posterity? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking for a second I said prosterity. Um, very different word. Um, but we're reading the complete and uncut edition, which I think came out like almost... In 1990. So almost 20, no, 15 years. Yeah, because it came out in 78. Mm-hmm. So it would have been almost 15 years later. This book had been doing so well and fans had liked it so much that they asked for more of the story. And Stephen King had actually like cut out, Kim says, 400, 400 pages, pages yeah. himself and then published that story. So yeah, because in 1978, he didn't have the name recognition to publish a 1,200-page book and it sell. And it sell. That's the so, real catcher. Yeah, so his publisher made him cut it to pieces. and Anyone uh, can sell a 1,200-page book. It's just a matter of if people will buy it. Right. Um, I will say, though, I said this to Kim in the car on the way over here. To me, it was a mistake to start with Misery because I really think that that's going to be a gold star, gold star standard. Like, that's a 400-page novel that takes you through so... Oh. We've talked about Misery a lot. Make uh, sure to yes, revisit everything. To so we're going <laughs> to just jump into the stand. And I think, like, one thing that's really cool is I really like some of the minimalism artwork on the title page. Um, this fighting, like, this sickle and sword mm-hmm. character work on the front is really interesting. Um... For Tabby, this dark chest of wonders. I like to imagine that's his cat. It's his wife. Ah, that Tabitha. makes more sense. Yeah, I mean, and, Kate, and Steve and Tabby, I'm so sorry if you listen to this ever. And seriously, without her, this none of this would be happening. I'm so. sure. Like, you got to have a lot of support to write a 1,200-page book. Like, that's not something that you do in a couple of months. That's a right. couple of years. Right. Speaking of says that he started this in February of 1975, and the original published date of the abridged version was uh, October 3rd of 1978. And then this 1,152-page uh, tome 
was released in 1990. But I guess it must have... He probably re-edited it before he re-released it. But I imagine, like, this is probably the original 1,200 pages he wrote in 78. And he's just like, he never got rid of that, I'm sure. Oh, no, no. How could you get rid of 400 pages of something he wrote? Well, especially something that is... Eventually means that much to you. Yeah. Like, because I think that that's the thing, too, is I feel like this is one of his more favorite ones. I think so. Especially going off of his Twitter (laughs) this year. (laughs) But... uh, I really think that this kind of confirmed for me that he writes for the idea of it eventually being turned into a TV or movie. I don't know that that necessarily was his original intent in 1975, but the way that it just starts with this. Oh, okay. We should do. We should talk. We should do our new format first before we just jump into the book and explain like the recap and then do the thing first. So the stand. We are going to be talking until chapter 20, I said? Chapter 10. Chapter 10, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and during that chapter, we're mostly just going to be introduced to a lot of characters. We're going to meet Captain Trips, um, who is this first character we're going to meet. He wakes up his wife, Sally, and they try to escape an army base. And the whole time is very, it's very urgent, very like tick-tock, tick-tock. Yes. Um, and he does a really great job setting that pace. And eventually, and then I think the next page chapter is we skip over to... Jesse or Fran, right? Oh, no, then we immediately go to Hapscomb, where we go to the Texaco station that's been advertising on our uh, podcast for a couple of weeks now. And we get into a big car crash, and we find out that it was that that same army man, and he had crashed into that pump, and there's a bunch of people from Arnett, Texas there, including Stu, who's going to end up being the big player here, um, and Bill Hapscomb are the two that I remember because they were the two that mattered. And everyone else is going to end up uh, going to the car. They try to help this man, but he is dead at the wheel, and that's why it was swerving, and that's why it hit the gas. Kim has this real fun smile as I'm explaining this. Um, so also, I think this is fun. This is the first like real one where I don't know much past where I've read. Right. I haven't seen the miniseries. I don't know the book. I've avoided everything. I only know these 18 chapters that I've read so far. Right, um, and that makes me real happy. It's really it's fun. It's like I'm re- talking about it, too. So they get into this big car crash, and um, the big thing about this book is it's written from a bunch of different perspectives. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I think, is when we jump over to Fran. Franny is the most annoying little girl in the entire world who just happened to get pregnant by the most annoying little boy in the entire world. And she gets pregnant. She goes to tell the annoying little boy, and the annoying little boy goes, I'm in college. I can't take care of a girl who's pregnant. And she goes, okay, I didn't ask you that. I just wanted to tell you. Which, I mean, that was a good move. Like, there were some parts of Fran, like, in the beginning, I was like, okay, Fran, yeah. And then she went to talk to her parents, and I was like, no, Fran, come on. Yeah. But But I digress. She's pregnant, and I imagine being a 19-year-old pregnant girl is harder than I can ever imagine it could ever be. It is. I will never know. Um, I do. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) So I will take your word for it. Um, And I will say, like... There's some weird chapters where, like, Stephen King, like, almost tries to, like, go out of his way to explain, like, why this man beat his wife. But I digress. So we end up, and, like, that's the thing about this chap parts of the book that we're going to read, too, is it's, like, you know, right now it sounds like I'm going on these random tangents about these characters, but I'm not. This is the way the story is presented to us. And so then we jump into, like, um, Larry, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. 
And so we jump into Larry, and Larry is this new up-and-coming musician, and he just got this big record go uh, deal, and he just moved to the West Coast, and he's having this big blowout party, and he's having so much fun, and he's remembering how we got here. And I'm going to say this is one of my favorite chapters, really well written. Mm -hmm. And then just out of nowhere, this random dude that he doesn't really know much, and he thinks he's just jealous, is like, dude, I think you're kind of, you need to chill a little bit. You're like losing your mind, and he's like, you're right. Um, and I think one of the cool things about this is this is the one that's told like from the point of view where he like is staying in his Datsun Z in New York and like remembering all of it. Mm -hmm. And then you find out he's waiting for his mom to come home, and his mom is just like, "Oh, you, ugh, I hate you so much, but also come in, I love you." And I, it's, <laughs> yeah. it was very relatable because I feel like that's how I get with my mom sometimes. We'll argue on the phone, and then she'll still be like, "When are you coming to see me?" Um, <laughs> and it's that kind of I really. Related with that vibe, and that's what you know. Stephen King did a really good job of making some of these characters really relatable. Um, and then after that, I think is the first chapter we get with Nick. I think so. Yeah, I think that's right. So then we go to who is probably the most interesting character in the entire novel so far um, is uh, Nick Andros, who is a deaf mute kid, and he's traveling through Mississippi, Arkansas, right area, southern area somewhere. Arkansas and Kansas. Arkansas and Kansas, and he's doing some field work, and uh, he ends up getting mugged by the sheriff's brother-in-law, and he goes to report it to the sheriff, or he actually gets arrested for the sheriff because they think that he's out there doing uh, some kind of crime. He ends up ending up teaming up with the sheriff to arrest his brother-in-law, and they end up like becoming friends, and he hires Nick to work in the cell. Um, jail cell. That's, mm -hmm. that's I'm kind of like combining all of their stories that you get over like a couple of chapters into right. one through this, just so you know. So if you were to read us after this, you'll get these stories in like chunks. Yeah. Um, and that's where we're going to stop today. Yeah, I think so, right? Yep. That is it? Cool. That is where we're going to stop today. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, this... And I, I feel like that you're going to be happier with this book. Oh man, all the like, yeah, the chapters are longer. So much, I, I like it so much better. I know better. that you like that, um, but again, I'm going to say I really feel like that. That's that whole consciousness thing. Oh, the last page, uh, chapter is chapter ten, which I think that we'll, that's the one we have to cover, um, which is Larry waking up after his first night. He had just gotten home, talked to his mom, and his mom was like, "Of course, you can stay here." And that next day, he ended up going out and partying, and he went home with this other girl, and he didn't tell his mom. Right. So, we get, so he gets yes. really guilty, and he goes to, like, try and uh, talk to his mom. Um, and he gets into the cab, and this girl threw a spatula at him. Yeah. And yep. it, it's just a silly little chapter right. well, to tell and, you that, like, he's not doing great. Right. He's, he's not great. Um, he's not in a good place mentally. Yeah. So we had talked about... Uh, so that's what happens in these 10 chapters that we're going to talk about. And we're going to go into depth a little bit more about each character and like everything. Um, there wasn't anything you said. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, cool. I'm about yeah, to say no, anything cool. Um, mm. Well, I mean. I really don't know what else we can talk about then. Like, I yeah. mean, what we can, I mean, in, in February of 75, you know, they were young and fairly newly married. And they had two, maybe three kids already. So, I mean. And so he's working and trying to write, and this is early, early on. Oof, I can't imagine that many this children. This is only his fourth book. So, you know, they're probably doing better financially than they have in a long, long time. Because Carrie was like a pretty, like, blockbuster, but, like, yeah, success, but, right? You know, I mean, when you're young and you got three kids, that's a lot. <laughs> Kim, do you know what Patreon.com is? Mm, it's a website. It is a website. Good job. <laughs> You can tell because of the URL with .com at the end. <laughs> but also on top of that, it's a 
it's a good way for us to raise funds and pay our bills. Listen, yeah, look at you learning about paying bills. Continuity. Now, listeners, if you're eavesdropping like a rude person, you could go to patreon.com slash first time through and become one of our exclusive listeners or a dedicated listener. You can do that at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash first time through. So let's start talking about, you know, Charlie and Sally. Okay, as I was saying, though, this is what made me think it was made, written to be made into a movie. It's like, this is the classic, like, door bursts open, army man runs in, Sally, Sally, you gotta wake up, you gotta get up, the virus is coming, Sally. And it's like... Right, it really does. It starts like you are in the middle of the action, no messing around, no forward, no any, just boom, you are in the middle of an action sequence. Can I tell you one thing to look for throughout as we read this, because I think I caught a little trick, mm-hmm. is there's two different types of like ways that he seems to describe characters. One, if he gives them no description at all, it seems that they're going to die pretty quickly. If he goes really, really, really detailed in their description... They're going to die really quickly. <laughs> if he's very vague about it, it's because he wants you to like kind of connect to that character because they're going to live for a little bit and then die probably. <laughs> well, I mean, At least in there this is novel a lot so far. of death in this book. Oof, ba Just saying. But we get into this, but it's that like the dad coming in, not telling his family anything trope to just get them out of danger. Mm-hmm. And just like, you have to listen to me. You have to trust just me. Do, we have to just leave. Just do what we got to do. Get your get your act together. We got to get out the door. And then Don't it, ask questions. Just do the thing. And it ends with this ominous, I looked up and saw the clock had gone red. That's the prologue. And we jump right into book one, chapter one. Um, and I guess book one is called Captain Trips. Right. Um, June 16th through July 4th. So chapter one. We, I feel like these Stu and Hap are going to end up being like our main two protagonists that we get really... I feel like Stu is kind of like the, the Han Solo, the, like, the unlikely guy that unlikely has to hero. like... The unlikely hero that has to rise up and help. Um, There's a lot of things that could happen. I really like Stu. I hope so, at least. Um, I really liked this uh, one of these characters, but then I know he like immediately was like, nope. Eddie Warfield, I think? Yes. No. So, no, no. It was um, one of the, the kid. Anyways, um, so we're just sitting there, and immediately we were introduced to, like, six guys in the middle of Texas, all sitting at a um, truck stop gas station, drinking a beer. It's a locally owned gas station, probably the only one for, like, they say, they think they say 25, 40 miles. Um, and they're sitting there chatting about football, and it's really, like, classic... Uh, Friday Night Lights. Yeah, you know, like small town. Mm-hmm. All the you know the all the guys hanging out at one place. You read about the big stuff happening, mm-hmm. but it never happens to you. Right. And then out of nowhere, a car comes, swerving and just slow and very obviously having issues. Stu's the one with the backstory I was remembering that was so sad, where he had to like drop out of school and go to work when he was twelve, and then he like met that girl. And fell in love with her and got married, and they had the baby, but then they both died. Yeah. Yeah, and so now he's just there alone. Yeah, yeah, his, his story <laughs> so is... so sad. Well, and he lost his mom to cancer, mm-hmm. and, you know... And he, he ended up getting that job at the calculator factory just to, like, support his mom going through cancer. Yep. But then she died, and then he met this what his wife. Who also died who of also cancer. Who also died of cancer. 
And yeah. like it makes me think, hmm, maybe there's something with this calculator factory town. I mean, that's it's, what, it's possible. But who knows? That's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about deadly diseases, I think. You actually don't know at this point in the novel, which I think no, is fun. Really it's like you don't know. Like, I feel like if you're going into this novel not knowing at this point, like, you know, 35. Let's see, 78 to two, that's uh, 42 years. 42 years that later. We can probably talk about the fact that it's about a deadly plague with not, without mm, having to With few spoilers. I still have <laughs> no idea what spoilers. Whoopi Goldberg's character does, but I'm very excited <laughs> about it. Also, my petition should be that uh, Stu should be played by Billy Burke, also known as Charlie from Twilight. Um, I hope everyone agrees with that. So, what was, uh, it wasn't necessary, how could it be? Okay. Hell of a pinch, Stu. Oh, yeah, so then the uh, car comes. Mm -hmm. So then all of a sudden, Stu sees this car barreling down the road. And well, I don't know that barreling is the word that, that I would choose because he specifically says that it's not going very fast, but it's weaving all over the place. It's just slow oh. and steady. Oh, see, I just kind of imagined it in my head, like yeah. going real fast and just like, like a big cloud of dust rising up mm -hmm. behind it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I get real cinematic, I guess, when I read in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And... Uh, uh, they end up hitting. I think that, like, one thing that's, like, I wish there was more, like, illusion-y things for us to talk about and fun things to talk about. Yeah. But I really think that, like, we're just, we're I don't just feel world like, building right now. Yeah, so I don't there's think, not going to be a whole lot of that just mm -hmm. yet. But it's I also coming. feel like the, like, real big, like, things that we're going to get, like, aren't going to be main plot illusions and, like, metaphors and stuff. Because I feel like his story that he wants to tell isn't, like, to tell to teach a moral or a purpose. Right, I yeah. feel like we're going to get small character moments that teach us morals and purposes right, instead. Right, yeah, this, this is a through. very different format um, as far as the storytelling. It's like he put all of these different was. characters into this crazy situation, so that way he could tell us the stories of each individual character. Right, right. You know, instead of having just two characters that have to teach us everything, we've got a lot... But yeah, it's, it specifically says, um, where'd it go? Uh, kept coming at a steady 15 miles an hour. Like the pace car at the Tournament of Roses parade. Oh, okay. And then uh, Stu sees it and he has enough time to actually say like, hey, turn off the... So then Stu sees it and he actually has enough time to say, turn off your pumps, Hap. Right. So pump get, or Hap gets up and they turn off the pumps and the Chevy just plows right into that first pump so it was a good thing they did that right uh, and pretty much immediately they're all taken aback really shocked and they're trying to figure out what's happening um and i feel i feel like when i was reading through this i knew it was the guy that we had just read about like you know like right why else would be we'd be meeting these characters like this is the next part of that character's story and uh, we get the first character, Norm. Uh, I only know that name because I just read it out of the novel. I don't remember him. And he comes around, he opens it, and uh, just starts throwing up. And I think this is the first time where you would really be like, oh, like, this is, like, something, like, mm -hmm. something's going wrong, something, wrong here. Something is definitely... Because I can only imagine if I was able to read this novel without knowing it was about a virus. Mm -hmm. Like, just the stand. Like, that would make you think it was about a virus either, so... Um, it's going to be wild if it's not about a virus at all, dude. And I'm just sitting here like, the virus, the virus, the virus. I'll put you out of your misery. It's about a virus. <laughs> out of your misery. Well, and like, I feel like the thing is, it's just like, the army pretty much in like one of the chapters very clearly implies that they created it for like warfare. Mm -hmm. So it was like, oh, okay, so huh, that's scary. Because I'm it, sure yeah. that's real. I mean, well, and I think that that's one of the things that makes this novel so 
scary to me is that there are aspects of it, not all of it, but there are aspects of this that are utterly terrifying because they're just so damned real. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. There's some stuff in here that just the small, there's, oh no, it's not in this part, but there's a, uh, the small chapters where they talk about how it spreads mm-hmm. and they're just like, he was just walking down the street and then the police officer decided he's like going to go get a bagel and he goes to get the bagel and there he did. He killed three people. Right. And it's just very casually like laid out like this is the connectors and this is how it happens. And that's terrifying, especially in the current climate. Um, right. And they get around to the door and they open it. And when they get inside, we see uh, a dead woman, a dead baby, and then a man who's barely alive. He's uh, there bleeding out, just absolutely doing not good. Um, Vic says, they're two of the deadest people I've ever seen. That's a direct quote. And... Uh, the guy starts going, uh, the dog, did you put him out? And he's like, Mr. I called the ambulance. I'm going to go all right. Clock went red. Better roll him out. He's going to choke on it. Where's this? Arnett, Bill Hapscombs, Texaco. He crashed out some of my pumps. That's okay. They was insured. That's all Hap's worried about is his pumps at this moment. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, like, yeah, that I makes mean, sense. I mean, business. They had just mm-hmm. been talking about how it wasn't how doing well. it wasn't doing well. I mean, the town is dying. You know, so many people are out of work and... So what happens? Factories moving to other places. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting to me that that can be a main plot point in a story from 78, but then also be a main plot point right now in 2020. Mm-hmm. I almost said 2018. Yeah, well, 2020. Wasn't into, but 2020. Yeah, it's yeah. just, you know, some things never change. Mm-hmm. Um, and they start talking about what they should do. So they end up calling the police. Um, and and they, an ambulance. And an ambulance. And they start hypothesizing about what could have killed this guy. Um and uh, they go in to uh, call the state police, and they're like, hey, like, this happened. And then we get this little ominous couple of paragraphs. The man from the Chevy died 20 miles from the hospital. He drew one final bubbling gasp, let it out, hitched in a smaller one, and just quit. He, and then that's it. He's, he's, and then he was dead. And they, nobody knows who he is. They don't know how he got there, but that is the start of the end of the world, essentially, it seems. Right. Like, the way that it, they're really, like, it's melodramatic. Mm-hmm. And chapter two, the most exciting girl in the world, Franny Goldsmith enters. <sighs> She's got a Volvo. She's and pregnant. Lives in a beach town in a Gunquit, Maine. In a Gunquit, Maine. Uh, mm-hmm. She's been to a theater once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Very worldly. Real, obviously. She knows she's got a lot of culture. Um, and she's going out to, we're, we're meeting her in Maine, on the beach today, actually. She pulled up in her Volvo, and she sees this uh, cute little uh, black-haired guy sitting out at the edge of the dock. He just rode his 10-speed there. And she starts thinking about him. And uh, she pretty much through this tells us, well... Starts to imply that she is a little bit preggers. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, exactly. And she's really confused about it. Like, she had been on the pill. She had been doing all of these things. And essentially, she just got pregnant after having unsafe sex with this random dude from the well, college. No, well, were, they, were they were dating, dating for a little bit. They were dating. Um, it says for a couple of weeks. So, not random. A friend from college. And, uh... 
he goes up behind her, and th- this chapter is... I feel like this chapter is to make this book for everyone. So it's like, you could be some, like, you know, an old man. You could be a young woman. You could be a little boy. Like, but you could be an 18-year-old girl and, like, relate now. And right, it's just right. like, yeah, there's this, something for there's everybody. Something for everyone and I'm sure there's someone out there that Franny is your favorite character. And if that's so, I need you to defend yourself. Just yeah, let me I mean, know why. I'm not going to say that Franny's my favorite character. But in Franny's defense, when you are young and pregnant and hormonal and you've got a controlling mom and you've got all of these things going on, you know, that's there's a lot of emotions that go along with that and a lot of hormones that go along with that. And, and you know, there... I mean, it's a lot to process. It from experience, I can tell you that's a that's a lot to process, and and you know you may not handle it as well as you should. And, and you know she's young, so let's not beat up on her too bad. Okay, I will say though, she is at least funny. She, she does have funny. a good sense of humor because yes. there's specifically one moment in here. So. She ends up telling Jess that she's pregnant. Jess does not take it well. They go to get ice cream at Dairy Queen. Understandable. I'd also want ice cream. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting there chatting. And pretty much he's like, what do we do? And she's like, well, you either stay and help me raise the baby. You don't stay and I have the baby. And I do it by myself. Or we get an abortion. And he's like, well, there's other options. And she's like, not really. Yeah, like, that's, that's it. That's pretty much it. And you he's know, like, there may be some like fine tuning gray of rooms, options, but, but basically, that's the three that's, options that's the for three a baby. Main options, yeah. And uh, pretty much, she breaks up with him like a like a badass. She's just like, actually, you know what? Like, you're not going to be worth the effort or the time, and you wouldn't be there for me, so I'm not going to do this. And then she starts nagging at him a little bit, and she's like, I need you to, like, make up your mind. Like, are you going to be in this child's life? Are you going to help me? Like, tell me something. Right. And he's <laughs> best part of this whole bar- book so far. And she said, I don't know best part. Most interesting part of Franny so far is when he says, stop riding me, Franny. And she says, no, Jess, you are the one who rode me. <laughs> and then she gets smacked, which is not like, that's when you're like, ah, yes, I'm for sure not supposed to like Jess. Right. Because I think that's something that Stephen King is like, really, he really goes hard on like, if you don't like this character, like he's going to make sure you don't like this right. character. Yes, yes, yes. And so at any point you were like already on Fran's side, like by that point for sure. Like, especially like just a strong independent girl, like laying down a fine line like that. And then right. like, also like she gets smacked and she's just like, Leave me alone. I don't want to. I'm right, not even going to do this. You're not worth away. my time. Just do the thing. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Really? Like, yeah, maybe I'm giving her too much. Like, shit. But, you know, again, speaking from experience, being able to say, no, this is not the way things are going to be. See you later. Mm-hmm. That's That takes a lot, especially when you're that young. A lot of, like, yeah, especially, like, to know that, like, I need, that you're not going to be able to give me what I need. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Um, and she drops off Jess at his little bike. Yep. Or at his little bike, and she drives off. Right. And we're in chapter three. Right. And then we we get back to Texas. So we have two characters so far that are, I mean, we have like the six Texans. Right. Vic, Stu, Norm, uh, Hap, Hap, Bill, Bill Hapscombe. Yeah. Five. There's those four that I can remember. Now we also have Fran. And Jess. Jess. And now we're going to go into chapter three, which is we're going to go back to more of the Texans. So we got Norm, uh, and he's waking up. 
he's uh, the living embodiment of what you would call trash. It is disgusting, pretty much. Like, he's hating on his children. He's hating on his wife. He's hating on the people down the street. Um, he has nothing positive to say. Here's the first time we hear about Larry Underwood when he says, baby, yay, yay, yay. Can you tell me if anyone can? I really feel like by the time you get through this whole novel, you have to have a full set of lyrics. Uh, we, get, we get a good amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, he's so like, where's my wife at? And he's thinking about the... the I think the, the main thing that it shows us here is how quickly the disease comes on. Right, right, because he wakes up sick. Immediately he sick. He wakes up sick. He's got mm -hmm. a headache. He doesn't feel good. He's all groggy. And, and I think that that's the point of this. It doesn't matter about him. It doesn't right. matter about that. No, I don't think any of the, the extra things matter as far as what a crappy human being he is. But, you know, it just immediately talks about how sick he is. and, and I think he know, just... Go ahead. And, and that, I feel like... Yeah, like you said, that's that's important to show how quickly the symptoms can come on. And I really think that Stephen King didn't want to kill off a good person yet. Like, right. he wanted to show us the life of, like, a pretty shitty person and then be like, this is how awful this disease gets on someone. Right. And I think that's the thing that we get from Norm. He can now, since we know how bad Norm is, he can show him pooping his pants, right. uh, you know, vomiting all over himself, like suffocating in his own vomit, like all these gross, terrible things. And you don't really feel bad for him. No because he's pity a terrible whatsoever. Person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, right. Um, and this chapter is also really where we get the first picture about how serious this may be, mm -hmm. because. You know, Joe Bob shows up and is like, it's it's uh, Hap's cousin or nephew or something. Nephew. Nephew. Oh, no, um, it's cousin. You're right. You're right. You're right. But anyway, he shows up and is like, man, I just, just be chill. But tell the buddies that you were here with last night that this is, this is not normal. This is not copacetic, you know. Some well, guys from the CDC showed up. That's what's coming. And it's it's not even that. He's warning his cousin, they're coming to talk to you. Right. And just, I think that that's the big thing, too, is this is probably a small little town. In their lifetimes, they've never had federal officials come out like that. I'm sure that, no. Maybe, like, a licensing or, like, some kind of, like, regulations board to, like, but check a factory. From the state. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> yeah. nothing, like, federal no. like this. Um, and it... It's immediate, too. It's been, what, eight, ten hours at most? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, from night to morning. So, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe whatever. Um, which Twelve is really, it's hours. really incredible that uh, the army couldn't find Campion's car. Or Campion. Or, I feel like it's definitely French. Yeah. Campion. Because yeah. it's definitely not Campion. Well, I mean, it could, it could be just Champion. Champion? It doesn't have the, it could just be Champion. It just doesn't have the yeah. H in it, so it makes right. me Campion. But Campion is probably Campion! Um, but uh, it's wild to me that they couldn't, like, find his car. Well, I mean, something, this is a this is a time thing again. It's 1990 in this book. True, I'm thinking satellites and cell phones and all this nonsense. Right, there's whereas, not like, satellites and cell phones. And there's security no cameras, maybe. Yeah. And, and no debit cards, I mean... There may be an ATM card, but it's not like 
it's cash. It's, it's, it's a cash, cash and checks. Cash and checks. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not like trying to find somebody in 2020. And I and that's true. I forget that because there are parts that date it. There are parts where it really, like, he goes, he like, he just dates the story a little bit. Yeah. But for the most part, like, he does a good job of creating timeless, like, scenarios where right. it's just, like, and really the only thing, like, that, that dates it are just brands. Like, if he would be I more so generic too, yeah. with food items but and I more, like, But I feel like, like that, things, that makes it more real. Yeah, it makes it more relatable. You know, instead of just saying potato chips. Saying, or mac and cheese. It says we had a craft box of mac and cheese. Right. It's like, oh, you know, okay. Instead of saying I've chips, it's Pringles. Yeah. You know, you know. It's, and the little things. To me, that's one of the things that he does so well to make this book real. You really feel like this is slices of life. Like yeah. every time you get into a new chapter, you're like, oh, this is a part of their life. Right. Um, you know. But anyways, um, yeah, Joe Bob comes and he warns them and he says, make sure that you all know that. Um, and then a couple of them start sneezing and uh, coughing. And right. uh, all of a sudden he's not feeling well. And Joe Bob says, watch out, there's some colds coming around. Right. And like the summer s- colds are the worst. There's so many small little jokes about catching colds right mm-hmm. now. And I think it, it's really to show you that these symptoms of this disease that's coming will never surprise you. It'll never scare you because you won't realize right, it until it's too it's late. Just, right. It's just going to look like you have the common cold. And later on, they say you're going to go home. You're going to drink fluids. You're going to lay down alone because you're not going to go to the doctor for right, it. Right. Because it's just and you're going to die on accident because you just thought it was the cold. Right. Um, which is a terrifying war weapon if you think about like. Oh, yeah. Sat down. Um, then we get this little bit where it comes over and it talks about Lila, Who's who is Norm's, Norm's wife, wife mm-hmm. babysitting the kids. And the only reason we get this is because one of the children starts coughing. Right. It's just to tell us that babies can, like, actively get it, too. Right, right. And I think that, like, it was a little obvious. Um, yeah, and she's the, in the crib, so she's still little. I mean, she probably under two. I don't think it specifically says. But, but yeah, Cheryl was lying on her back in her crib. Her face was going in alarming purple. Her ca- cries begin to sound strangled. Now... Something just that's to, important just to about establish Eva. a timeline here. Mm-hmm. This is the next day. This is the next day, and like the young and the restless is on. That's She's like, a, that's, on like a, that's a soap eleven opera. to one p.m. Right, is right. What We're I think. talking midday here, mm-hmm. so it's you know maybe been. I'm thinking twelve hours. hours. Oh yeah, maybe 14, 16 hours. I like 16 that. Sixteen hours since since the car and this baby and this that baby was not at the was car not crash. At the car crash. Neither was this woman. Right. All she did was sleep in the same bed near somebody that was. Right. And now the baby is sick enough already. Mm-hmm. That it's showing symptoms. Right. That and like alarming symptoms. It's so, terrifying. Yeah, you know, I feel um, like that's that the only reason that this page is here because it's really only about a page is here is to just show you how fast. I really like though. There's one part where Lila picks up the baby by her heels and just smacks it on the back until Flem comes up, and I'm just yep. like. That sounds about right. I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, and then that whole chapter is just telling us like how it, it, it's not as small as you think it is. Right. Like no well, matter. And it's it's portraying the speed of it. Mm-hmm. The speed and urgency, I guess, yeah. too, because it's like not only is it like quickly like killing and like not killing but infecting people in this town, mm-hmm. the CDC is on their way in that moment. Like they're already right. like, oh my god, we need to get on top of this. Right. In less than a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now we get this actually like yeah, a little bit of this, what's yeah, happening. Yeah, I think this is this is chapter four where we actually get some of the groundwork. And this is, we meet 
who seems to be the man behind the screen character. He he's probably like the Secretary of Defense or something like that. I imagine. Well, I, I don't the think the Secret he's Secretary. Quite, yeah, of I was defense. gonna say I don't think he's quite that high ranked because he's at the base. But he's probably like the man in charge of that base. This, uh, ad, like, uh, what is it? General. Right. Yeah. Um, his name is Starkey. Um, and like I said, he Stephen King gives us a very generic description of Starkey because we know he's going to be alive for a while and he's going to be important. We'll see. Can you give me a look? Mm-hmm. Um, and we start... Now is when we get filled in on what happened in the prologue. Right. So we start to see through his eyes, through the monitors, inside of that base that Campion um, had originally escaped from. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the character named Len Crichton comes in um, with, uh, what, one word of description. So Crichton's going to die, I think. Um, And they also have Joe Bob, who's already dead. Uh, He (laughs) picked up three hours ago. Oh, no, he's en route to Atlanta now. He's not Mm -hmm. dead yet. Um, he's been patrolling half of East Texas since he got infected at the gas station. Right. So since then, he's now drove along. And so this is where we find out that this disease has a 99.4% communicability, which means that you have a 99.4% chance of catching it if you come in contact with someone with it right. or in contact with the disease on a surface. Right. Boggling. Like, boof, boof. Yeah, That's like- really good. Yeah, like that's, that's an A. Really bad. Obviously, it's an A plus. Like <laughs> right. it, it's almost a perfect score. I, I think in this case, that's really <laughs> oh, that's, bad. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's a failing grade. <laughs> I think um, they'd be like getting a point six. <laughs> oh. Um. But yeah, so you know, have Project Blue. Project Blue. Project Blue. Very sloppy. Uh, he says that the guy that was in charge of it. Uh after it escaped, killed himself at his desk. Mm-hmm. Just shot himself because he knew there was nothing he could do. And we, like, find out, essentially, that... Uh, and, and and this is right here, page 30, cover-up. In the news media, so far they think it's anthrax. They're hiding it. They know what's out. Oh, they go to some stakes to hide yes, it, too. Yes, they do. Oh, yeah, and just, I mean, just wait. And what will have to happen in this for it to go public? Yeah. Well, and that's, yeah. Oof. That, that's <laughs> the immediately a thought for me is like they're going to such lengths to cover it up that it's like, wow. Okay. Right. Um, and we find out Stuart Redman, who's been negative for over 50 hours. And this is right. the first chance that we find out that like somebody can be almost immune to it, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then we talk about uh, exactly how Campion could have gotten out. And he right. had, there was 40 second lag that this could have happened in, apparently. Right. And when. And again, just how fast. Mm hmm. Just. All every hell domino fell break. into place. Yeah. If he would have taken an extra, like, half a minute to pack a bag to get a baby ready or anything, he wouldn't have made it out. And, like, it's just really, like, yeah, it's very. Honestly, this, I think, as, like, Stupendous as it sounds, I think it's one of the most realistic aspects of the book, too. It's, it's like, these are the kind of small little, like, miraculous mistakes that cause incredible things to happen. Right. Right. Um, and then they got away from him. They had been running for about, it says, like, six hours before they could find him. And then he crashed into the pump, pretty much dead. Right. Um, and pretty much we get this, uh, it's very... 
it, it, it makes me think of like two old men just like sighing and going, oh, I don't know what to do next. All right. Yeah, this chapter is real cut and it's dry. Bleak. There yeah, is, it, there it is is like, bleak. There is like this is the no, situation. Nothing to do really right and now. And it's dark. There mm-hmm. is no hope. You can't you can't dig any hope out of these Mm-mm. these guys. I mean, and these guys know. These guys these are the guys in the know and and there is obviously no hope in their train. You can say they know there's no hope. Right. Um chapter 5, we are introduced to Larry on the other hand is there for the depressive people. <laughs> yeah, he, he is, is there for the people that are yeah, like, oh man, are you sad? I can also relate with Larry. <laughs> Larry. Uh, so we end up finding, like we were talking about earlier, Larry is pulling into New York City in his brand new Datsun Z. Had no idea what that was, I want you to know. It's a, it's a car. <laughs> uh, see? Um, I know it's a car, it but is. I looked it up. Now I know what it looks like, too. Right, it's like a little sporty car. Good for him. Right. Like, yeah, right. like, it was, like, back in the day, I can see why you'd want it. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's just kind of laying there thinking about what's happened in the last couple of, or five days. Yeah. Five days ago. And uh, I think this, you're right. I really enjoy how much longer the chapters are in mm-hmm. this one, too. I knew you would. So much more. I knew you would. Um, That's why I kept telling you, man, that, that in Misery, it's written it that was way written specifically. that way specifically for the inconsistent consciousness Mm -hmm. that yeah anyway so i think we digress (laughs) uh this is another i think from this point on like since we have the texans and we have franny Mm -hmm. um i mean the texans i don't know if there's going to be more like really i feel like the three important texans and like uh please like tell me if Mm -hmm. there is one more name i should make sure i remember or two um i feel like i should remember so far stew eva and uh, and if I don't need to remember any of these, please don't tell me that. Right. Stu, Eva, and Hap. Um, those feel like the three good like yeah, I, main I, ones to remember so far. I feel like so you far. should definitely keep those guys in mind. Cool. And then um, now we have Fran. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like we need to remember anyone else from Fran's story. So far. Um, cool. And then uh, we have... Now we're about to meet Larry. Right. And we're going to meet Larry. We're going to meet a ton of people from Larry's backstory that I do not think we will ever hear about. We might hear about them again. Very unlikely that we see most of them again, right. it feels. Right. Well, because, you know. They're just his, random people. He doesn't even know them for well, the most right, part. Right, right. And, and a lot of his story is, in retrospect, about the people that are in California. And now he's in New York. Mm-hmm. That's true, too. So... The people he's talking about the aren't he's talking about literally aren't, thousands of miles right, away. They aren't in his circle at that exact moment. So, so we find out uh, Larry was born in New York. He, his mother worked three jobs to get him through school and all of these things. And he was super into music as a kid. And he ends up writing um, this song called Baby Can You Dig Your Man. Um, and he had originally, um, he was playing with this band in like some club. And he had originally wrote it for Neil Diamond. Yeah. Or no, he was going to sell it to Neil Diamond. Sell it to Neil Diamond. But then Neil Diamond ended up doing something else on his album. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it? A Buddy Holly tune. Peggy Sue got married, and they ended up taking uh, the studio the, guy was like, "Hey, why don't you? Why don't you this? sing it?" Right. So he did, and it was three days, and he ended up like singing with Neil Diamond and all these people, and uh, they ended up not using it uh, for the album just because it was like, eh. but they released it as his own single. Right. Right. And it blew up, right. essentially. 
Like, you know, he was he was just one of those guys. He super talented in the right place at the right time. Yep, exactly. You know? And he ended up uh, making bank off of it. Just really, you know, it's that it's the classic. I think that that's the thing too. Is like I don't think he gets very specific on many of the details because I don't think he really wants you to focus on the details of Larry's come up. Mm-hmm. I just think he wants you to know that Larry went up. Right. He shot straight up, real fast, no breaks, like just on a rocket. Right. There was nothing to slow him down. He just immediately went from zero to a thousand. Right. And that's not good for anyone. Right. I mean, because that's. I mean, it goes wow. from he goes because he goes from you know basically couch surfing to having this beach house beach with, house uh, with crate full of crazy random mm-hmm. people his that, own personal drug lord standing right. in the corner and he's Filling telling him like make sure everybody keeps their drugs happy and mm-hmm. he's just like i'll pay you at the end and right. all these crazy things um and i mean we can get more deeper into it and i feel like this would be this would be some of the stuff that would, i imagine is cut in the uncut version i imagine that you don't yeah, get as much of larry's backstory yeah i really feel like basically the things we take away from this are larry Wants to be better than he is, has poor impulse control. Yeah. He does, his mom says it later, and I think it's perfect. He knows what's wrong, but he doesn't know how to make it right. Right, right. You and, know, and, and he's he's real fortunate because he's got a friend. Mm-hmm. You know, his friend Wayne. They're not, like, best friends. They're not super close. But he's that but friend that's going to, like, tell you the truth. Yeah, he's the friend that's going to tell you straight and and... You know, whether your best friends or not, that friend is a good friend mm-hmm. to have. So basically, they like in this scene, like in this situation, we're getting there, and Larry is at, having this big party at this beach house. He's just signed this big record deal. He's just got a big signing bonus. He's mm-hmm. throwing this giant, massive rager. It's been going on for four days now. Mm-hmm. And his friend Wayne pulls him out to the beach, and he's like, hey, man, like we should talk. And he starts talking, and it starts off, and he's really like, you're jealous. You don't really like care about me. And he's like, nah, man, you're just kind of being a jerk and right. how much money do you have left like how much do you think you've spent and they like break it down and he spent like what five thousand dollars on drugs in the last right. two days and right. like all you of know, these things and, and something else that is important about wayne to know that he's not jealous wayne's got money wayne's mm-hmm. from money his family was born with money right. he does music because he doesn't have to worry about money right right and so you know obviously this is not somebody that's jealous of of his Financial just, windfall. He's just trying to be a. I think he legitimately just sees someone hurt. Yeah. And he's like, man, yeah. like you need the help. Like, stop doing this, or you're gonna re- really regret it. Right. And essentially, he convinces him to like stop having the party and go home. Right. And the moral of this story, I think, the point of it is to show us that Larry runs away from problems. Right. He does not confront things. Right. He doesn't know how. He doesn't have any of that. He doesn't have the tools. He doesn't have the persistence or the determination nope. to do those things. So he runs away. Yep. And I think that that will be one of the big things that we'll see change for Larry. Um, like, that'll be one of his big character moments. But I think it also just shows us that he was in trouble. And that's yeah. where he's coming from. Yeah. It's like he's going to be coming from that bottom. Yeah. And it... <laughs> Very rarely are you feeling on a good high when you drive up to your mom's house and sleep in her driveway for the night because you're too scared to go talk to her about what happened last night. I think that that is a true statement. I don't feel like those are things that happen on a good day. Yeah, no. And he walks into his mom and... No, his mom wakes him up. Oh, yeah, she knocks on the door. She's like, yep, thought it was you. Get your ass inside. (laughs) 
And she's like, yeah, come on up. I figured that was you. She just uh, got it. Just real resigned. Like, oh, yep, I expected this to happen. She was going to work. Mm -hmm. And she's like, ugh. And she calls into work. And she's like, hey, like, come on. I'll make you some breakfast. And they're sitting there chatting pretty much. And he passes out before they can even talk about much. Mm -hmm. And uh, she makes him more food. And they start talking. And I don't know. It's like... Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's like reconnecting with a, a tense situation mm-hmm. with, you know... It's very vague and awkward, but also, like, trying to, like, be open and... Like, you can tell that, like, Larry really just wants to be like, this is how I feel, and, like, please help me. But, like, right. he doesn't want to just, like... Dump on her. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like right. he probably knows that it wouldn't work at this point for her. Right. So, yeah, so, you know, he's there. She's like... You know, he says he's put a down payment on the car, and he's got the rest of it on credit. And she says, easy credit terms. That's how your father ended up bankrupt. Sadly, I don't really feel like there's a lot that adds to the overall story in this. Right. It just tells us, yeah, like, just, you know. Just getting to know him a little bit. But, this you know, is, I feel like that that easy credit terms. I mean, that's not, not speaking just in the financial, but easy credit terms. You know, easy terms puts you in a bad spot. Easy, easy. Taking the easy way out. Yeah, taking yeah. the easy way out. And, uh, so I feel like that that line is kind of important because it, it kind of gives you a little bit of an insight into his. I know. And Larry, okay. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Let's, you know, like he's looking for the easy way and things. Right. You know, he wasn't trying to save up money to buy the car in cash. Right. Which would have been better off in the long run. Right. Um, Serving so cat hand. Uh, Yep, he went to bed and slept for nearly 18 hours. Yeah, nothing really that exciting in this one. Nothing real exciting. Gets back to his mom, and there it is. But Larry Underwood, I like him as a character. He is trying... I think that when you have a character that is actively searching for growth, Mm -hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's where Larry's at right now. He's trying to be better, but we're going to watch him try to fight his bad impulses to get better. Uh, And now we're back to the most interesting girl in the world, Miss Franny Goldsmith. And uh, she's uh, six pages of talking. Like, Well, I mean, she goes. This is how I know her father is dying is because he's described for four paragraphs. (laughs) Well, I mean, and and this is kind of an important thing because, again, having to go tell your parents that you are young. I mean, she's in college and now she's pregnant. And, you know, her dad obviously is takes it a whole lot better than she expects because her dad's pretty chill and, mm-hmm. you know, they're real close and they've got a special relationship. And, yeah, she, they, she talks about him for – or they talk about him for a long time. Um, and he's – they're both gardening while they're doing this. Right, so they're right. out back and they're, they're doing all this. It's something that they've done for a while, which is, you know, it's one of those nice little uh, – Oh, he's gardening, and that's our little connector activity. Like, we can, I can, this is a good opportunity for me to talk to him. Right, right. Um, and they're just making a little small talk and everything. And then um, she eventually just kind of like starts zoning out, and he becomes aware and he asks, What's on your mind? And she says, I'm pregnant. And I can only imagine how hard of a conversation this is. Like, oh, yeah. it's probably terrifying and scary. You never know how the other person's going to react. Right. And, you know, dad kills it in like all honesty. Yeah, he does. Like he's like, "What happened?" Like I thought you were on birth control, and she's like, "I was." Like, but did it work? And he's like, "Oh, okay. Well, what do you want to do?" And like, that's the most important question right there. Is like, what do you want to do? Because at the right. end of the day, it's Fran's choice. Right. And I think that like I was like that was where I was like, nice job. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like that. And pretty much, 
they just decide to tell their mother her mother later. Right. And that's really all I get from it. Um, you know, this chapter is really good to show us that this is why I'm positive that he's gonna die and the mom's gonna stay alive. By the way, because like it's showing such a strong connection between the two of them. Right. They like are so easily like bonded and in love, mm-hmm. and then the mom is so distant. Like, that's the right. more interesting, like, combo of the two. Yeah. Um, but I feel like this chapter is important to just, again, we, we need these characters to be real. Unless this baby ends up saving the world, this she's not important to me. And I hate her. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> but, that's too far. It's just, it's important to establish that these these characters could be real people. These are oh, yeah. real Real life events, real life circumstances, real life problems. People that could be affected by this super exactly, easily. Exactly. Um, and then we get this terrifying chapter. Yes. Where it's Vic Palfrey, who is the um, just one of the people that was one at the, the, at the, the gas, gas station. And he's lucid. And his first thought is, I'm dying. Right. Nothing else. Nothing else. And he's thinking and he's talking. And then he's like, where am I? He doesn't even know where he's at. Mm-hmm. And he starts to try and figure it out, and he starts shouting. And he's talking to himself, and then all of a sudden he's just sick again. Mm-hmm. And what is it? I think there's somebody that comes in, right? The man who came in was dressed. Uh, there was a... I said, try again, Space Cadet. How are you feeling, Mr. Palfrey? But Vic couldn't answer. Vic had gone back down into the green depths. Yep. So they had saw that he was lucid, rushed in there to get a chance to talk to him. But by the time they'd gotten in there... He was already gone. Right. Um, if this one doesn't work, we'll lose him by midnight. And then, for Mick Valfrey, Magic Hour was over. Yeah. I feel like Stephen King really gets off and writing one of those, <laughs> some of those one-hours sometimes, because that's a good one. But, um, And now we get to Stu. Again. Again, you're right. And essentially, this is telling the story of how they all end up in Atlanta. Yeah. So Stu, uh, all of Norm's family, all of Ralph's family. Um, Basically the whole town. The, most anybody that would have been any way involved in that gas station crash yep. is put into a plane and flown to Atlanta. And Stu is getting tests done on him. Um, and we get these fun little moments of them being taken there. And essentially they're really putting on like these people know nothing. They do not, they're not allowed to know anything. Right. They don't get to know what's happening to them. Right. They just right. know they it's just, big enough that get, the army is coming to get them. Yeah, they just get picked up and, and no questions and no no objections. No, get in the car. We're going to the thing. Get in the airplane. We're going to the thing. Do the things. Mm-hmm. And they like, they're treated really well. They talk about how they get drunk on the plane right. and like right. they're having a good time and all this stuff, but they won't answer any of the questions right. they won't tell them what's going on they're giving them food and drinks and everything and they're just getting there and then we meet dr denninger mm-hmm. um he was young he had black hair olive skin sharp features and a mealy mouth he's living for a while <laughs> um patty greer says you oh he could die really fast though too um i want some answers and pretty much Stu is like if you literally want me to do anything you're going to explain something questions. to me. Right. You're going to give me some information if you want me to be cooperative. Still not sick. And they want to know why. Mm-hmm. He's not sick. 
but he's not cooperating anymore because all you know he doesn't know what's going on with anybody because the they've only, got everybody in isolation. This is the moment I knew I loved Stu though because the only thing he knows is that they're scared of him being sick. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's like you know it's been made obvious. Like when somebody comes in in hazmat suits to take your temperature, it's like okay, you're worried I have something that you're gonna catch. Right. So this entire time he now has a weapon. Right. And his first thought is, okay, if you try to come in here and do it by force, I'm going to rip holes in your hazmat suits. Right. And it's like, well, they're not going to do that. They're terrified. They know, like, what blue, because like, they know, they know what Captain mm-hmm. Trip, mm-hmm. blue, like, whatever you want to call the serious, like, virus is, they know. And we end the chapter with, it was 40 hours before they sent a man who would talk. Right. Um, chapter eight. Oh, this is the chapter where we get the the spread this is the oh where it just talks about like then this person goes to here and then this person yeah you know Mm -hmm. uh joe bob pulled down a speeder on texas highway 40 about 25 miles east of arnett speeder was harry trent of braintree an insurance man he'd been blah 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 blah. it's just gonna end up being like a map essentially and it's like you know it's like the camera zooms out and you see joe bob as a red dot go to this other place and then two more red lines go out and then then two more red lines right yeah and that's literally this chapter yes it explains how and i think like it goes i think he puts it in here to explain how it's going to get to new york how it's going to get to ongonquit how it's going to get to all of our characters that we're meeting through this and i mean but yeah i mean we nobody dies in chapter eight it's not about anybody dying it's just about five pages of how it spreads mm -hmm, and how quickly samantha would go on to infect anybody everybody in the swimming pool at the Polliston YMCA, and so on. So, I mean, it just really... <laughs> uh, here, this line. Chain letters don't work. It's a known fact. The million dollars or so you're promised, if you'll just send one single dollar to the name at the top of the list, add yours to the bottom, and then send the letter on to five friends, never arrives. This one, the Captain Tripp's chain letter, worked very well. And then it says Captain Tripp's was a guy... Each participant brought a dollar, and then he would, like, kill people, I guess? I don't know. They don't really explain it too much. Well, They're in a way and, that I understand it. And, again, chain letters were a big thing, like, when I was younger, that you'd get, like, a, you'd get them in your Facebook. Yeah. You know, share this with five people, and, and you know, send a book to this person, and, and those things like that. They're all scams. Mm. Um, but it's that same kind of thing. But if you do it... Like the way you're supposed to, you're supposed to get all this money. Well, obviously that doesn't ever work because nobody's doing that. But this is just a an illustration of, of something that I think works like that, but actually works. It's really like a um, uh, uh, the chapter itself is um, a really good moment to just like expand the horizons of the novel a yeah. little bit. It yeah. makes it, it's almost like every chapter is zooming out with the magnifying glass a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, it yeah. starts on just the starts one chapter, here, then, then it's here, the Texas. Yep, here, exactly. And yeah. And at this point, it's like, okay, it's not just like in these small little places anymore. We're talking about all these little places because they're all going through the exact right. same thing. Right. Now. They're all connected now. And then we get to. Okay, it's actually tied for three. It's either Stu, Larry, or Nick that are my favorite character. Yeah, and Nick's pretty great. Nick's just good, and he's just. Uh, he is a deaf mute kid, but 
you don't learn that until like halfway through the chapter because right. he's not like leaning on it. He's not using his disability. He's not doing it anything mm-hmm. other than like somebody asked him and he's like, oh exists. yeah, I am. Yeah. Right, right. You know, but but one of the things that about that they they establish about him pretty quickly is that he exists in a pretty normal way so you don't realize until you're into it a little bit Mm -hmm. that oh and it it starts off like and i think one of the things that like what's so important about nick is it immediately shows us that no matter how many times he gets beaten up pushed down he's gonna stand back up right he's he's, that's the character he is the perseverance character and i i feel like if i was blind and deaf that would or mutant deaf, mm-hmm. you would have to be that way. Absolutely, you you would just to be able to learn to like read, like would have Absolutely. to be something. Right, and and they established fairly quickly that he knows how to read and write, and I mean that would be a, so difficult to learn, right. so incredibly hard to learn. Um, hold him, and then it, it immediately starts with him getting mugged. That's why I'm bringing right. up this getting beat and shot, or not shot, but um, kicked thing. They bring him down and they start beating him up. And he, one of the guys has this big ring on his uh, hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was passed out and they knock him out. And he's left just in the middle of the night, in the middle of, of the this road. Uh, road. And he almost gets hit by the, do- the town doctor. Exactly. So we're in a small town. And, you know, so anyway, yeah, he gets almost gets hit by the, uh, the town doctor. And that's when he gets picked up. And they don't really tell us why through here. Well, and, and I think that he ends up in the town jail laying on a bunk, but he's not really arrested. It's just somewhere where they could put him because... He was lying drunk and unconscious and, like... Right, and it, they didn't know why. Mm, there's a lot of, like, sketchy of road, reasons, you know? So, you know, take him somewhere where he can be safe and confined in case he's dangerous. And then, you know, we'll deal with it when he wakes up and we can find out more about what's going on. You know, small town... Small town, you know, the stranger things. Right. Uh, And honestly, yeah, that's what this sheriff reminds me of Hopper from Stranger (laughs) Things. Um, Mornings are for coffee and quiet contemplation. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so Nick wakes up in the jail and the sheriff tries to talk to him and then he finds out he's a mutant deaf and he starts writing on the thing and he starts like asking him like what happened and he's like, oh, I got mugged. And they start talking through all this stuff. And the way that Nick has to, like, communicate with people is, like, and even the sheriff talks about it. He's like, you're really good at, like, charades. Like, you're really good at pantomiming. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it shows, like, this isn't, to me, it showed me that Nick, it's not new. Right. It's not something that happened in the last couple of years. It's not something he's getting used to anymore. This is his life. This is how he was born. And this is what he's already, like, this is his normal. Right. And I think that, you know, in some ways, like, I think it's going to end up being a real big boon going forward and through this, especially because, I mean, he's either going to be super immune or he's going to get super dead. And I'm really I mean, interested to kinda, see. That's, that's really all that happens in this <laughs> right. book so far. Um, he eventually tells the sheriff that uh, he was mugged and he starts explaining the mugger and the sheriff realized that it's his brother-in-law. Right. <laughs> he's not that upset about it. His brother-in-law is like a piece of work. He's not right. a good guy. Right. He just doesn't want to hurt his wife. And that makes and, sense yeah, to me. Yeah, I mean, she, it's her brother, but she knows. I mean, you cannot possibly have a person in your family like that and not realize that, you know, you can love them all you want, but they're still just not not very kind. Mm-hmm. One so, thing I really like how um, Stephen does 
this part. What he does for Nick is whenever Nick is writing on pads of paper, he puts it in quotes as if Nick is saying it right. to represent that that is Nick communicating with yes. that other person. I think that's really nice, and I like that. I think right. it's a little inclusive, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, well, and yeah, to show that it's not just text. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's actual words, actual speaking of a sort. And he essentially says, uh, I can't get your money back, but uh, we'd probably get those guys in jail if you want. And he's like, do you want to do that? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And he's like, all right, if that's what you want. And so uh, he says, welcome to Arkansas, boy. And And then he brought him some pain medicine that the doctor left for him because the doctor almost ran over him with a car. So the doctor fixed him up and then gave him some medicine. Okay, and then we got this and last chapter. And so, real quick, just to oh, recap yeah, yeah. all of our characters so far that we've met. We've met Larry, we've met Nick, we've met uh, Fran, and we've met Stu, we've met Hap, we've met Eva. Are the six so far that, like, I remember that are important. Um, there might be more. I'm not going to lie to you. There probably is. But right. those are the six. Oh, and Stucky. Or Starkey. Right. Starkey. 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 And uh, Daringer, the doctor. The doctor. And Lynn, the... The guy, the uh, the counterpart to Starkey. Oh yeah, yeah, Lee. Yeah. Lee Lynn. Oh yeah, Lynn. yeah, yeah. Lynn. The guy that came in and talked to him. Yep. Crichton or Creighton or something like yep. that. Um, so uh, now we're back at chapter ten. Um, just like for a little bit, like so you guys are aware, our goal with this is to over the next couple of weeks match eight episodes up with the last six episodes and then go two past the stand, I think. Right, the stand. Um, and we're going to talk about the stand miniseries in those last two episodes and how it relates and everything. And maybe yeah. in the next few episodes we'll bring it up. But make sure you subscribe to our Patreon if you want live uh, updates, little blog posts, and what we think of those things in right, real we're time. we're definitely going to talk about oh, yeah. the miniseries on the Patreon. We're also going to be probably trying to do a watch party of misery and stuff over the mm-hmm. next couple of weeks. We've got a lot of stuff coming for the Patreon, so make sure you are subscribing. After the first... Oh, Oh, yes, after this, we've, we've got some big plans. Um, and we're going into our final chapter, chapter 10, which is a short little chapter of Larry. And it just it's just to reinforce that just because he decided to make one good choice doesn't mean he's all of a sudden going to magically right. start making good choices. Right, no. um, and I think that that's really honest and truthful. Yeah. Um, he... It starts showing us the day uh, he wakes up hungover and not remembering it. So he goes, it's a good little framing device. He goes Mm -hmm. back to remembering what happened the day before. He wakes up. He notices that his mom had gone up before he woke up and went super grocery shopping and bought all of his favorite favorite things things. to make him his favorite dinner and everything. And he's like, that's cool. And then he dips out and he goes to the club and he hangs out with this girl instead. And he never goes home that night. And he goes into the girl's house and then they hang out and... uh, then he's really mean to the girl, and he's like, all right, I got to go. And she's like, you're just going to leave? I was going to make you breakfast. And he's like, nah, I got stuff to do. Yeah, I got to go see my mom. And which, she's of like, she feels like is uh uh-huh, Sure right. you do. Uh-huh, but sure. he really is going to see his mom. He is, because yeah. he feels bad he didn't call her. Right. And I think... I feel... And, and that's, again, that's that whole Larry thing. You know, he doesn't make good choices, but then he, he almost instantly He knows it's it. wrong. He knows it's wrong. And I th- that's the difference between a good person and a bad person right. for me. Having We've the remorse to... That. Yeah, yes. I know we have. Knowing that you're doing the wrong thing. Caring, Caring that, you're that you're doing the wrong doing thing. The wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, making trying to make some actual effort to not do the wrong thing. 
you know, because <coughs> people who are just bad people don't care. Yep. <laughs> and he runs out, and as he's running out, the girl that he's running out on throws a spatula, hits him in the forehead. Right. And you ain't no nice guy. He's just... Whatever he he says one funny line he says sweetheart your Bronx is showing and she's like what the heck does that mean right um it was a funny line but Larry gets in the cab and he said take me to my mom right and it's another it's it's the exact same thing it is him oh, I made this problem I'm just gonna run away from it not gonna confront it not gonna do anything just see you later gotta see go ya. um and that is what we have read for this today. chapter yeah. so um. Little, little hypotheses and stuff. I don't know how. So I've seen a little bit of the marketing for this new miniseries that we have coming out. So I know that Whoopi, Car- Whoopi Goldberg's character is 108. I have nothing else about it. And I'm just so interested because I know she's going to save the world or something. Like, what is yeah, she standing up against? I can't wait to you That's interesting. Um, I'm really excited. Nick's character is super interesting, I yeah. think. I'm really hoping, like, I feel like it's going to end up being a little bit more action-y than I think thought it was going to be. Um, yeah, there is some action, and there's. I mean, this this book is really going to be uh, a very different experience for you. Than I feel Misery like it's going to end up being very political. Like it's going to be a lot of like backdoor politics, kind of like allegiance, and like we have to do this or you're not going to survive. And, well, yeah, like, I mean that. Yeah, and, that and kind it, of aspect. Yeah. You know, it's 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 very different than the than Misery, um, and I know that. I know that you really enjoyed that one. So that's I really kind of the standard. So but, it, uh, I'm not kidding. Like it really is going to be my gold star standard. Like we're going to have to. It's going to be a minute, I think, before we find a book that's that good for me. Yeah. At least Stephen King books. Um, this is really interesting so far. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. So I'm really curious though. If you do read this, if you get a chance to listen to our podcast, please go and like us on Facebook. And we're going to put a post up there today or the day or the next day after this comes out. Are you reading along with us? Have you ever? Did you read Misery and did you like it? Or do you plan to read The Stand and do you plan to watch the Mizzy ser- mini series? Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. I don't Tell really us know. About it. Yeah, yeah, like, what do you think? Yeah, we want to definitely have like create some discussions. We want to read some of your like uh, reviews and thoughts online. Yes, and even if we talk don't, talk to us about it. Yeah, we'll go find <laughs> some reviews and thoughts online just to like talk about it, anyways. Um, okay, closing Stay thoughts for next week. Closing thoughts on the first oh, okay, ten chapters yeah, yeah. of the, the Stand. Anything? What do you have? There's just so much. Is there anything this in particular is... that, like, this is the first time you're like, oh, my gosh, I noticed that. Like, ooh, this is really interesting. Don't tell me why it's interesting. Just be like, I thought this was interesting. I never noticed it before. No, I've read this one okay, several okay. times. So there's Here's one really interesting thing. So this one, in the beginning, I didn't get a whole lot of new out of this one because I've read it several times. And, you know, so I know where it's going. But okay. This is a slight spoiler. It's 20 pages ahead. Okay. But I think this is going to be really interesting to talk about when we talk about it. So I'm going to drop it here so our fans can start to listen, think about it, too. Okay. In, like, about 20 pages, Stu's going to have a really crazy dream. Oh, And yeah. I'm just going to read the dream real quick. Yeah, yeah. Because it's going to immediately make you think of at least six or seven Stephen King stories. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he was standing on a country. He had never had a dream like this. He was standing on a country road at the precise place where the black hot top gave out to bone white dirt. A blazing summer sun shone down. On both sides of the road there was a green corn and it stretched away endlessly. There was a sign, but it was dusty and he couldn't read it. There was a sound of crows, harsh and far away. Closer by, someone was playing an acoustic guitar, finger picking it. Vic Palfrey had been a picker and it was a fine sound. This is where I ought to get to, Sue thought dimly. Yeah, this is the place, all right. Mm-hmm. Really foreshadowing there. 
What was that tune? Beautiful Zion, the fields of my father's home, sweet by and by. Some hymn he remembered from his childhood. Then the music stopped. A cloud came over the sun. He began to be afraid. He began to feel that there was something terrible, something worse than plague, fire, or earthquake. Something was in the corn, and it was watching him. Something dark was in the corn. He looked and saw two burning red eyes far back in the shadows, far back in the corn. Those eyes filled him with the paralyzed, hopeless horror that the hens feel for the weasel. Him, he thought. The man with no face. Oh dear God. Oh dear God, no. The dream was fading. He woke with feeling of disquiet. That's going to be in the next episode. We're going to talk about that. But tell me that is not like children of the corn, crows, raven, like uh, devils, like, so, like, every, like, yeah. let's talk about like all 14 novels being mentioned in one dream. All like, right, right, yeah. yeah. So, well, and that's, that's a, that's a trademark. You know, it's interesting. He does a lot of that. I'm and, excited and to as see. As we get into more books, you'll be like, oh, and he talked about that. I wonder if this same spirit is the one from Children of the Corn. If this like crossroads is going to be involved with the devil at all in any way. It's really interesting. We have a lot to get into. Thank we you do. so much for listening, guys. Have a great day. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. Happy yeah. New Year. Enjoy your next New Year and we will see you next week. Otto, Kim, that was incredibly interesting. Great job today. If you would like to support First Time Through, you can follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, or send us an email at firsttimethroughpodcast at gmail.com. You can also become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash firsttimethrough to get exclusive early access, to get exclusive videos, and to become our exclusive friends. If that's interesting to you, I'm interested. First Time Through, New Eyes on Castle Rock, is produced by Empty Theater Productions. It's created by Kim Payne and Otto Mullins. Editing by Otto Mullins. Music by Jason Rager. Art by Kurt Payne at Who Knew Art.